Last week, I talked about a question that my friend had brought to me about whether or not the Bible was meant to be taken literally. And I kind of talked about the importance of being able to answer questions that non-Christians have so that we're able to help kind of guide them into the truth that is found in Scripture. And so I wanted to kind of continue that series a little bit. And I wanted to make sure that I was answering questions that people really had, that I wasn't just coming up with questions and then answering them, but answering questions that people were actually asking. So I went back to my friend and I asked him what questions non-Christians tended to ask. And when I asked him that and asked him to kind of give me a few, almost without skipping a beat, he said, if God exists, why do children die of cancer? So, you know, starting me off with a really easy and not emotional question there. Um, but I do think that this is a question that a lot of people have. And, and he said that that's probably the one that he hears the most. If God exists, why do children die of cancer? And there are other questions that kind of follow along this same line, like if God exists, why... Are there stillborn children? Or how about when God would send his armies to take out groups of people and instruct them to also kill women and children? And all of these questions kind of follow along the same train of thought of if God exists, why are innocent lives lost? And why does God allow a child, someone who is innocent, to have their life taken from them. And that's what I want to address today. If God exists, why are innocent lives lost? Why do children die of cancer? Now, these questions actually do give us a lot of common ground to begin the discussion on. Because just by the way the question is phrased, it reveals some understanding about who God is. So by asking the question, well, if God exists, then why are these innocent lives being lost? There's a couple assumptions that are already being made in this question. The first of these assumptions is that God has power and authority over life and death. That he has the power to give life and take it away, and he has the authority to make those decisions. The other thing that it assumes is that God is good, and that he desires good for people. Otherwise, you wouldn't need to ask the question, well, if God exists, why do children die of cancer? Because if God wasn't good, then why would that matter? Why would that have any effect on it? And so the question already gives us some common ground to work with by understanding that God is powerful enough to do something about those situations, and that if God really existed, that he wouldn't allow bad things to happen to people, or at least that he would want good things for people and desire good for others. So let's begin with those assumptions and some things that we can understand about what Scripture teaches based on those understandings. That God is powerful, he has power and authority, and also that he is good and desires good 
for others. So I'm going to, in answering this question, kind of begin with, for lack of a better term, the most negative approach to this answer, and then move from there to a place of of great hope and joy. So please stay with me to the end, because we're going to start with the most negative kind of approach to this question. And that begins with the understanding that God is good. Now, it isn't hard for us to see, as we look at the world around us and the things that people do, that people, mankind, is not good. We do horrible, terrible things. Our lives are full of selfish actions and words that really cut down other people, and and really we are so good at destroying other people's lives. And so it's easy for us to recognize that we as people are not good, and that God is good. And I think that's part of what makes this question then difficult about children, is they're saying, well, I understand, you know, the wrath of God being poured out on people as a whole because people are terrible. But what about a child? A child hasn't done anything like that yet. A child is still innocent. And it's important for us to understand that there is a difference between being innocent and being good. And just because someone is innocent of a crime doesn't mean that they are a good person. I've talked a little bit about the difference different kinds of sin, that there's transgressions and iniquity. Um, But really the thing I need to highlight and kind of remind anyone who's not familiar with this is that a transgression is a single act of sin against God. And there is a difference between a transgression that we commit and the sin that is in our life. Because we are all born with a sinful nature. It's that desire that is in all people for selfishness. That desire to do things to better oneself. And that's traced all the way back to Adam and Eve sinning in the garden. That when they did that, that sin nature came into all people. And that we are born with that inherent sinful nature. And it's important to understand that we have that sinful nature even before we've committed a sin. And that is what leads each and every person to commit that sin. But just because we have not committed that sin yet, so we're still innocent, doesn't mean that we're good because we will still have this sinful nature in our life that will push us into acts of sin. In my Bible study that I do on Sunday mornings, we've been going through Ephesians, and we're in the second chapter of Ephesians right now, and we came to a verse that that really talked about this idea. It's verse 3 in Ephesians chapter 2. It says, All of us also lived among them, talking about the disobedient or sinful people, all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh, and following its desires and thoughts. Now listen to this next part. It says, Like the rest, we were by nature 
deserving of wrath. So in this verse, it's saying, you know, we did all of these sinful things. And, you know, it's talking about we, as we follow Christ, we're led out of that sinful lifestyle. But then it separates all of those transgressions, all of those sinful acts, to then say that by our nature, we were deserving of wrath, talking about the wrath of God. So not only does our sin separate us from God, but because God is good, because God is perfect, he is without sin, he is holy, he is the only one who is good. Because of that, just by having this proclivity of selfishness that we name as the sinful nature, just by having that in our life, it causes us to be deserving of God's wrath. So even without the transgressions, even without the acts of sin, even if we were still innocent, we still deserve God's wrath because of that sinful nature. So you might wonder, well, why? Why would that sinful nature make us deserving of God's wrath? Well, let me explain it this way. Uh, I'm sure many of us are familiar in, you know, from school in the area of physics, the idea of potential energy, that I can take a ball to the top of a ramp and be holding on to it at the top of that ramp, and it has a lot of potential energy. So that as soon as I let go of that ball, it's going to roll down that ramp all on its own. Because that potential energy is there. And the only thing preventing that ball from rolling is me still holding on to it. That's what potential energy is. And so I use that to say that our sinful nature is like each person's potential energy for evil. And we know that there is no person capable, no, no human on earth capable of overcoming that sinful nature on their own. And that each and every person who began completely innocent in their life because of that sinful nature, that potential for evil, that each and every person has given into that, has made a mistake, has done something they knew was wrong, done something that went against God's will. And Scripture's very clear that every single person other than Jesus Christ who has ever lived has succumbed to that sinful nature and has sinned. In Romans 3, chapter 3, we're told that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says that if we claim to be without sin, that we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So with all of this in mind, knowing that we by our very nature are pursed, are driven to selfish actions, to acts of evil that harm other people, all while the good God, who has never done anything wrong, never made any mistake in all that he has done, the only one who is good, 
as he watches on each and every one of us. And when I think of it in those terms, it really does leave me asking more of the question of why does God let any of us live? That he knows we all have this sinful nature inside of us that is going to drive us to hurt others, to hurt ourselves, to rebel against God's will. Why does God let any of us live? And of course, we understand that as the giver of life, God has given to each of us our life and loves us despite our sin. Not just despite our transgressions, but despite our very sinful nature that entered into the hearts of all people during the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden. Despite that sin, God still loves us, and he still lets us have life. He is the one who gives us that life. He is good, we are not, and yet he lets us live anyway, and he loves us anyway. So then we have to understand the other common ground that this question presents, which is God's power and authority over life and death. That God not only gives us life, but he has the power and the authority to take it away as well. He has the power to do so because he is all-powerful, but he also has that authority over life and death because he is the one who gave that life to begin with, and because he is the giver of that life as our creator, that he also has that authority to take that life away from us. And this is part of the role that God plays, especially in the role of the Father, that he is the all-knowing judge of all humanity. And he is the only one capable of filling that role because only he can see each and everything that is going to be affected by those decisions. Because he's not only all-powerful, he is also all-knowing. He sees everything that happens. He knows everything that has happened and is currently happening and will happen in the future. Only God sees that picture that is so much bigger than what our limited perspective can see. And it's that all-knowing aspect of God that gives him the authority to take away life while still being good. That's something that none of us could do. None of us could bear that burden of making those kinds of decisions. If we think about the old morality question of time travel, about baby Hitler, if you traveled back in time, would you kill baby Hitler? And some people would say no, because he's still innocent, right? 
We know that he's not good, that he's going to do bad things, but he hasn't done them yet, so he's still innocent. And so some people will say no. Other people say yes, if it prevents all of that death and suffering. Sure, he's still innocent now, but we know what's going to happen. And some people say, yes, I would take that life. But I think no matter which direction you t you take your answer, no matter which way you answer that question, I think inside each and every one of us, there is always this hesitancy to answering that question. Because none of us feel qualified to make that decision to take a life that we didn't give because we don't know how much it is going to affect the rest of the world. And sure, we may know, even in this you know, very science fiction-y idea of time travel, we would still know how much bad stuff would be avoided by taking away the life of baby Hitler but we don't know for sure that it wouldn't make things worse. And that will always be nagging in the back of our mind because we don't know for sure. But God does. And there are an unlimited amount of things that you would have to consider to try to make that kind of decision. And any time a life is lost, it's a sad thing. It's not something to be praised or celebrated. It's always sad when a life is lost. But sometimes there is good still found there. A couple years ago, January 1st of 2020, my grandma passed away. And I remember talking to my mom about it because it was really difficult for her to lose her mom. And she was telling me about how losing her was the most difficult death that she's had to experience. And at the end of this conversation, she then said, but you know what? I'm really glad she didn't have to live through the COVID lockdowns because I know that that would have devastated her. She would have hated to have to live through that. And when we think of something like that, when we think of the pain that is spared through death, we can almost begin to understand meaning behind it, or at least the timing of it. Now we know that all of us will die, but it's when we die that we don't know. And for some people, that time of death comes late in their life, and for others it starts at the very beginning of it. And we may not fully understand why God chooses to let some people live and to take the life of others. And there is truly so much about all of that that we will never understand. There's no possible way we can understand because there's so much 
that is affected by it. We can't even begin to see that that all-encompassing picture that that decision affects. And so none of us will fully know how much hurt God has prevented by taking away life, nor will we know how much truth has been revealed to others by allowing that hurt to be experienced. We don't know. But what we do know is that God is good and that the decisions he makes are for the benefit of all people. And this is where faith comes into play. That as we understand the power and authority that God has connected with him being good, and all-knowing, that we then need to have faith that God knows what he's doing, that he knows what's best, that he's not making those mistakes because he doesn't make mistakes. And rather than putting that burden on ourselves of saying which lives should have been taken and which lives shouldn't have been taken, when we only see a very tiny sliver of the full picture. We instead need to have faith that God knows what he's doing and what is best. Now I promised you that we would get to a perspective of hope and joy. And up until this point, we've been looking at this question and this topic entirely from the perspective of earth and lives here on earth and to fully understand the rest of this question and really the answer to the question we have to remember how small of our life is spent on earth and remember that eternity waits ahead after this life You see, when an innocent life is taken, it doesn't just disappear. It doesn't disintegrate into the ether. It doesn't just return to the ground. It goes home. Because remember, it's, it's it's those transgressions that separate us from God. That sinful nature drives, makes us deserving of God's wrath and drives us into those transgressions that separate us from God. But until those transgressions have taken place, that separation from God is not there. And so, when an innocent life is taken, it is a life that has not rebelled against God and it is returned to God in heaven. It doesn't disappear, it goes home. Just like with each and every one of us, this earth is not meant to be our home. This is not our permanent place of residence. And God longs for all people to accept the forgiveness that is readily available to them through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Where God said, I'll pay the price 
for your sin, just accept this gift that I'm giving you so that you can come home. And we need to remember that every innocent life that is taken is there at our home waiting for us. Happy, without pain, without sadness, in the presence of God, they exist still. And for each and every person that has accepted that gift of salvation from God, we get to look forward to seeing each and every person that was taken away from this earth, taken away from us, that we get to go back and see them again. And not just for a short time, but for the rest of eternity. Now, maybe that's not even enough for you. Maybe you say, yeah, but it's still not fair to them because they don't get to live in this earth. All they'll ever know is heaven. They won't get to experience all the splendor and glory that is the earth. But that still wouldn't be accurate to what Scripture teaches. You see, God is going to create, and he talks about it in Revelation chapter 21, create a new earth that his people will walk upon. They still get that experience of walking on earth. And that earth isn't even going to be filled with sin and death and disease like this one is. It's an earth that will have had all of that purged from it. And depending on your interpretation of uh, Revelation chapter 20, it may even include a, them being able to experience this earth for a thousand years, along with all of us. And so when we think about that, how we will be able, each, each and every life, innocent life that was taken, each and every one, we will get to walk with them, both in the presence of God in heaven, as well as walk with them here on earth. In a world under God's complete and total authority, where sin has been stripped away, and all people are selfless and act in love and love alone. And that's the world that we get to experience with them. That's the world that they get to experience with us. For all of eternity. I mean, when we put it in that perspective, is having a few decades on this earth taken from them? Is that really so much to be taken from them? Sure, it's difficult for us. We have to deal with them being gone. We have to deal with them being taken away from us. But to say that it's some great disservice for them, they're getting probably the best deal of all. That they don't have to live in an earth full of war and disease and, and hatefulness, wrestling with a sinful nature. 
They don't have to deal with any of that, and they will be able to, for all of eternity, walk in the presence of God as well as walk in a new earth that God has prepared for them and for us. Yes, it hurts us, and I would by no means downplay that hurt that we experience. But it's a hurt that they will never experience. Because we're promised that in the new heaven and new earth, there's, there's no weeping, there's no pain. And that's all still lying ahead for them and for us. And we need to remember that. Remember how little is really being taken away from them and how much is yet to be given. Why do children die of cancer? Well, first of all, because we live in a sinful world and really none of us deserve the life that God has given to us. Yet because of his love, he still gives us life. And he chooses when each person dies. We all die eventually, but God chooses when our time is. And we have to trust that he knows best in what he's doing with those decisions. But as long as we trust in him, we will be able to walk not only with him, but with each and every one of those innocent lives that was taken from this earth, Walk with them in the full presence of God on a newly created heaven and earth. There is so much yet to be given. And God really does take very little away from the innocent. But in order to answer these questions, we have to understand our sinful nature. We need to have faith in God's wisdom and we hold on to the assurance we have of our future in our Heavenly Father. And that's today's Sermon in the Pocket. I hope you feel like this question has been answered well. If not, I'd love to hear from you. And I'd love to hear any other questions that you would like for me to answer. You can contact me either through the Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page, or you can email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I check all of those emails that come in. I'd love to answer your questions. And I encourage you to share this message with other people, to people who have asked you this question, people who are looking to answers for this question. Share with them this message so that they know the hope that is found in God. But until next time, thank you for taking the time to listen. And I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you.